0: Emily, if you'll go ahead and bring up the first slide. This is a picture of me and my closest friends on my wedding day, of course. When choosing my, my groomsmen, I always called them my bridesmaids. When choosing my, my groomsmen, um, I didn't just kind of go like, all right, you, you, and you. I really thought through it. I'm, I'm kind of sentimental. And I wanted each person to represent a part of my life that each one of them meant something different to me during a part of my life. So, for instance, the first guy right here, uh, kind of tall, short-haired, farthest to my left, his name's Kip, and Kip is my, still one of my best friends. Uh, We have been best friends for 15 years now. We have done a lot of stupid things together. Um, I'll talk more about Kip in a few minutes. The guy kind of behind him, that's my friend Jodon. He was my best friend in high school. And uh, Funny story about me and Jodon. One of the funniest things that ever happened to us was one night we were riding down a backcountry road. I was in a probably my third car by the time I was a sophomore in high school, because the other two just didn't make it. And I was in a 1985 Ford Ranger beige pickup truck. And the cool thing about this pickup truck was that if you would take the ignition and turn it off, they all don't try this, if you turn it off and drop the, if you drive a stick shift, don't try this. You drop it into third gear and let it back back up a little bit, and then you flip the switch back on. It sounds like a shotgun, all right? And it is the craziest thing. And so me and Jodon would, like, go riding down the road, and, and there was one time there was this little old lady, and she was on the side of the road. I don't know what she was doing, maybe raking leaves or something. And, man, I did that thing, and I'm pretty sure she messed her britches. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't think she had moved that fast in at least 40 or 50 years. It was awesome. The guy standing in front of him is a guy named Jared Rothel. Jared is one of the students from Seneca Baptist Church. He unfortunately goes to the University of South Carolina now. Of course, that good-looking fella right there on the pole, that's me. I'm sorry? The way, My chin strap. My wife wouldn't let me have it on my wedding day. I had to shave it. You'll know what I mean when you go to get married. The gentleman kneeling down before me, worshiping me, just kidding, that is my brother-in-law, Andrew. Some of y'all know him. Uh, The guy standing there, the the white ball-headed guy, the darker ball-headed guy, that's my brother. But the white ball-headed guy standing with his chin up like he's better than everybody else, that's Joel Morgan. And Joel was my first mentor. Uh, in the ministry, and the guy standing next to him with the mustache is Kevin. The two of them were my first two real mentors in the student ministry. And the guy behind him is my brother. And he was here the other week. My brother was my best man at my wedding. Uh, but each one of them, at some point in time in my life, my brother still. Uh, my brother and I are very close, and um, uh, I, I think the word of my brother. I'm so proud of him, and. Uh, I consider my brother to be my best friend. My father is probably my very best friend. But each one of these guys means something different to me, as I've said. And uh, I cherish the friendship that I've had with each one of them uh, throughout the years. I say that because I want to make this point tonight. There is not much in this world that is greater than the love and dedication that a true friend offers us. You see, a relationship with someone else, whether it be a guy with a guy, and we don't, you know, guys, we don't walk around going, amen, I love you, or anything like that, you know, but we, we have bonds and we have relationships. And so a relationship with another person is a connection. It is a link. It is a union with someone else. And God created us to be relationship people. We crave relationships. We crave friendships. We desperately have to have it. We desperately long to belong to other people. We want to be accepted. And so we have to have these friendships. But the question that I have for you tonight is this: Are the friendships that you have, are they healthy friendships? Are the people that you're hanging out with, are they true friends or are they not? So tonight we're going to be examining what true friendship should really look like. And we're going to find out if you are being the type of true friend that you should be, and if you're aligning yourself with the types of friends that you should have. And so tonight we're going to be looking in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 18 is where we're going to start. We're going to go chapter 18 through chapter 20, verses 1 through 42, we're going to look at each line individually and study them thoroughly. I hope you finish your homework. No, I'm just kidding, we're not going to do that. This is a really long story about two of the greatest friends in the Bible, First Samuel chapter 18. okay? We're going to go start in 18 and then we're going to really jump to chapter 20 in a minute. But this is a, this is a story. Emma, if you want to go back to the title screen, that's fine. Um, that's fine. Anyway, This is the story of David and Jonathan. And this is one of the greatest examples of true friendship that we have in the Bible. And so what I want you to do tonight is I want you to take your abilities as a friend and what you are as a friend to someone and what your friends are to you and I want you to compare them to what David and Jonathan had. And I want you to see where it measures up because I believe that if you don't measure up to where David and Jonathan were at, then you need to really consider the people that you're hanging out with or you need to consider the type of friend that you're being to them. David began his life. I'm not going to read all this, this whole story to you, okay? So I'm going to try to tell it to you a little bit, all right? Um, David began his life as a shepherd in Bethlehem. He was a little boy. All right, he was the baby brother of eight, baby brother of eight. David was known for for his diverse skills. He was a great shepherd. He was a warrior, all right? And by the time he died, he, he rose to become king. He united Israel for the first time. David is the one, if you remember, who defeated Goliath. David eventually rose to become king. He led them to victory in many battles. He conquered he he led to the to the, he led the way for the first church, the first temple in Israel to be built, and it was built by his son Solomon. You probably best know David as the young kid who defeated the nine-foot Philistine giant Goliath. He did it with a slingshot, some stones, and God on his side. And see, it was right after, it was right after this little boy David. And when I envisioned David. I think he probably looked like Jared Burdett. I mean, seriously, I'm not picking. I'm dead serious. I think that's what David probably looked like. God took a child, and he used him to defeat a nine-foot Goliath, a nine-foot giant. And, and, and Saul, the king at the time, Saul, he, they had been trying to defeat this Philistine for a long time. And here comes this little boy, about the size of Jared Burdett, with a slingshot and some stones. I'm not making fun. If that boy ever comes at you with a slingshot and some stones, you better run. All right? (laughs) So, So David goes out. He kills Goliath. King Saul sees this. Saul has a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan was the next one in line to become king. And so Jonathan, who was about to be king sees this little boy, Jared's size, go kill a nine-foot giant, and I'm pretty sure he was impressed, right? If if Jared took out somebody that was seven-and-a-half foot taller than him, not that you're two foot tall, but seven-and-a-half foot taller than him, we would be impressed. And so Jonathan sees this, and he's like, Whoa, man, I've got to hang out with that guy. And so Jonathan and David... They, they build this, they form this friendship with each other. And, and in uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, it talks about the way Jonathan admired David for his courage, for his willingness to fight a nine-foot giant. So the teenage boys, they form a bond with each other. that no matter whatever happened, they would always be best friends, right? Jonathan went over to David and was like, hey, man, you be my BFF. David was like, sure, bro. And they went back and put on Facebook, Jonathan and David, BFF, right? All right. So, so as time goes on, as time goes on, King Saul, he, he continued to give David these fighting orders, right? David's killed a nine-foot giant, man. He, he could kill anybody. He could do anything. So David starts leading these armies. And Saul, Saul keeps giving him people to go out and destroy and lead and destroy. Well, naturally, the people, the people start start cheering for David. And, and so when David's coming back in, people are chanting. They're like, Yeah, David, David has killed his thousands of people. And and Saul the king is like, What? Whoa, I'm the king. You're supposed to be coming back in chanting for me. So over time, like Saul gets really, really jealous of David. Alright? You'd imagine a grown-up man jealous of Jared Burdett. That's what's going on here. It's kind of childish. But Saul's jealousy for David, it ate at him so much that he decided he wanted David dead. David felt this anger. He felt, he saw the jealousy. And so he was like, man, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here before this dude kills me. All right. So David wanted to leave the palace and, and Jonathan did not want him to go. They were best friends. They did everything. that flew kites. I mean, they did it all together. But David was still afraid, and, and he knew that he was in real danger. So Jonathan and David's friendship was so tight that Jonathan was willing to do whatever he could to help his friend. So he, he came up with a plan. And, and Jonathan told him, he said, look, in a, in a field not far from here, there's this huge stone. Go and hide behind it. In three days, I will come with my servant and shoot three arrows by its side. If I say to my servant, "Go and find the arrows. They're on this side," then there is no danger. But if I say to the boy, "Look, the arrows are beyond you," then you must run away from there because there's great danger. So David said, uh, Jonathan, saying, "Look, if I tell him, if you hear me say that they're on this side of you, everything's cool. But if I if I say the arrows are beyond you, you need to go because my father's trying to kill you." All right, that's how much Jonathan loved David. So David trusted him and he went and he in the, hid in the field. And Jonathan went to King Saul and he begged him not to kill David. And this enraged Saul so much that he tried to kill his own son. He took a spear and he threw it at him. Luckily, he missed. So Jonathan runs out of the palace calling for his servant he has the servant shoot the arrows and he says the arrows are far beyond David comes out meets Jonathan they hug shake hands David goes off and he hides in a cave until God brought him out that's the short part of the story all right I tried to make it exciting There are four characteristics that we find in Jonathan and David's friendship that are awesome examples of what true friendship should look like. This is what you should look like as a friend, and this is what the people around you should look like that you call your best friends. The first thing that I want you to see is that a true friend is loyal. A true friend is loyal. Look at chapter 18, verse 4. 1 Samuel 18, verse 4, it says, And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And, and in that part of verse 4, and in that part of, part of verses of 1 through 4, David, uh, after explaining the situation to Jonathan that he's facing and the, the jealousy and the rage that Saul has got for David, Jonathan says to David, Whatever you want me to do, I will do it for you. Jonathan is so loyal to David. He is willing to do whatever needs to be done to support his friend. But what is this word loyal? What does it mean? Well, if you look up the word loyalty in the dictionary, you will find synonyms such as true-hearted, dedicated, and dependable. Being loyal, Jonathan puts David's welfare ahead of his own. David turns to his loyal friend who he knows he can depend on to be true to him. And this is one of the defining traits of a true friendship. When you are a loyal friend, you are willing to do whatever you can to help your friend, even if it means sacrificing something of yours. Maybe if you, maybe you sacrifice sleep to be there for a friend who is in need. Maybe that friend just needs to talk to you. And so you stay up on the phone really late at night and just listen to that friend talk. Maybe you're supposed to go out and hang out with your boyfriend or girlfriend on a Friday night or a Saturday night. But because your best friend really needs you, you give up that time with that friend. You give up that time with that boyfriend or girlfriend to be with your friend who needs you. Maybe maybe you're going to sacrifice what you should rather be doing to be with your friend who needs you the most. Being loyal, being dependable, even the point of being sacrificial is part of what is involved in being a true friend. I told y'all before, I dated a girl for a long time. We broke up. I dated a girl for six and a half years, and in those six and a half years, that girl she didn't, um, she didn't really like my friends. My friend Kip, she didn't really like Kip that much. Kip got on her nerves. I don't know why, I thought he was hilarious. But anyway, because of that, I, I started making her my highest priority. And so I kind of drifted away from my friendships. But the day after, or a couple of days after me and the girl broke up, Kip and I had not spoken to each other in almost two years. And the day we broke up, or the day after we broke up, he calls me up. He knew I had gone back to my parents' house. I had moved out for a while, and I went back to my parents' house because I was, I was pretty messed up. And, and the relationship just meant a lot to me. So Kip knew about it. He calls me up. I go to his house. He, he canceled everything he had going on that night. I go up to his house, I get there at nine o'clock. We start talking. I left his house at eight a.m. the next morning because we sat up and talked all night. Like those two years never meant, I mean, it it was not even a gap there. But the thing was, he knew I needed him and he gave up everything that he was doing to spend that time with me. That's what a true friend does. The second thing that I want you to see is that a true friend holds you accountable. A true friend holds you accountable. Jump over to chapter 20. Look at verse 8. Chapter 20, verse 8 says, Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is any iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? This is David talking to Jonathan. Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? Or... What if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, I do not send to you and tell you. May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do evil to you, Then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And the Lord will be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. They're making a bond with each other. They're making a pact. And Jonathan is saying, hey, if I don't do what I'm telling you I'm going to do, This is the the repercussions of it. Your best friend is supposed to hold you accountable. David is saying here, you see, I deserve death if I have done anything wrong. To be held accountable means you are held responsible for your decisions. You're held responsible for your actions. And a true friend will always hold you accountable, not for their gain, but for your protection. If you're doing something that is wrong, a true friend will come to you and tell you, no matter how bad it may hurt you. Accountability is not what most people view as fun. We think being unaccountable is better than being held accountable. But if we're not held accountable for our actions and our decisions, then we would make some horrible mistakes that could hurt us, or hurt us, or even someone else. One of my favorite TV shows is the show Law & Order. We have TiVo. I have about 60 episodes that are recorded. And every day when I get home at night, I put Emily to sleep by rewatching Law and Order. I'll watch about three episodes sometimes at night. The cool thing about Law and Order is my boy Jack McCoy. That rhymed. My boy Jack McCoy, man, he is like the assistant district attorney. And you don't mess with Jack McCoy. And he's like always, man, he follows everything to the limit of the law, baby. He is all about the law. And if you do something wrong, if you do something wrong, Jack McCoy makes sure that you get punished for it. He holds you accountable to the law. Now, y'all thinking, man, this old fuddy duddys watching Law and Order. Hey, I don't care. I like it, all right? Anyway, there was like one episode the other night where this website was, like, posting pictures of people and, and, and having other people, like, uh, make fun of them. And, and also, anyway, dude, this one dude that they had posted a picture of, he gets killed. Well, Jack McCoy goes after the one that killed the guy, and then my boy goes after the website owner. He says, you're going to be held accountable for what you did. Guys, that's what a friend is to us the the a friend to us is somebody that holds us accountable for our mistakes they come to you and they say hey you shouldn't have done that and here's why and you're not always going to like what they have to say see they they do it every day right here they're laughing they're, you're not always going to like what they have to say. You're going to get mad at your best friend when they come to you and they try to hold you accountable. But they're doing it for your own good. So, so if you've got a friend over here, if you're the friend and you have, you have made a decision that your life is for Jesus Christ and nothing is going to stop you from following him and your best friend is out drinking and partying it up, it is on you. To go to your best friend and say, that's not right. And if it's the other way around, then it's on them to come to you and say, that's not right. You're going to hurt yourself. We've got to be there to hold each other accountable. We need to be willing to give one or two people permission to ask us anything about our lives, to ask us anything about our thought life, about our home life. They need to be able to ask us how we're treating others, what we've been filling our, filling our mind with. They need to be able to ask you how your relationship with God is going. And, and when we start, when we, when we are not right in our answers to those questions, we have to be willing to hear what comes from them. And they don't do it because they like putting you down. They do it because they care about you. Ephesians 4.15 says that uh, speaking the truth in love is what true friends really do. It's not always easy, but it is sometimes very necessary. When you have friends that are committed to you in this way, you know that when they say things that are sometimes painful... They're doing it for your own good. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted. If they are your true friends, and what they say to you hurts you because they're trying to help you, you need to be listening to them. Another story about Kip, my best friend, is that Kip was always brutally honest with me. If I did something or made a decision that was dumb, he didn't mind coming to me and saying, Bo, that was dumb. No, he didn't say Bo. He didn't know that word. Kip always slowed my mind down, and, and he tries to make me think things through before I do them. Man, I love having a friend like that. We all need a friend like that. Finally, and most importantly, not only do you have to be a loyal friend, not only do you have to hold your friends accountable and be held accountable, but a true friend is always God centered. Someone said, hey. A true friend is always God centered. Verses 12 through 42, Jonathan and David are doing everything, and they're doing everything with God as their witness. Verse 12 of chapter 20, it says, Then Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father. But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know. Verse 14, But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord. I do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Verse 21, as surely as the Lord lives. Verse 22, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. The Lord is witness between you and me forever. Verse 42, we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. Guys, if you want to have true friendships, they have to be God centered. Everything about this friendship was centered around God. Every decision that these two guys made was made because of their bond bond with God. If you are a Christian, you need to understand this and understand it very, very carefully. It is not possible to be true best friends with someone who is not a Christian. You cannot be best friends with someone who is not following Christ. Oftentimes, we try to be friends with somebody or we try to like mission date and you're like, I'm gonna, uh, he's not saved, daddy, but I'm gonna um, just give me a month with him and I will have him living for the Lord. It do not work that way. Oftentimes, when we try to make someone who is not Christ-centered your best friend, you'll find yourself being brought down by that person. I'm not saying that you can't be friends with non-believers. You're supposed to have a relationship with them to try to, to, try to bring them to the loving knowledge of Christ. But you can't go and make them your best friend. They will bring you down. They will want to take you places that you don't need to go. They'll want you to hang out with their group of people that you really don't need to spend a ton of time with. You'll be brought down by those that are not Christ-centered. One of my other friends, he was not in that picture for my wedding, but Kip and I used to hang out with this guy named Scott, and Scott and I were just always real close and stuff. But, uh, and Scott... Professes Christ as his Savior, but Scott is a huge party animal. And the reason that I could not allow myself, when I got saved, to hang out with Scott anymore is because on Thursday nights, Scott went downtown Clemson and, and he lived a life. He lived a life that I no longer wanted to be a part of. And I loved Scott like a brother, and one of the hardest things I did was separate myself from him, but it had to happen. Because that friendship was doing no good for my relationship with Christ. You cannot be true friends with somebody the way you need to be without Christ being the center of that friendship. Scott understood who Jesus was, but Jesus wasn't the center of his life, and still not. See, if you're hanging out with people and they're not Christ-centered, how are they going to hold you accountable like your true friends need to hold you accountable? They'll put you in situations where you can mess up instead of trying to put you in situations where you won't mess up. It is only the true Christian friendships that you find those who truly care about you. They don't care just about your physical well-being, but they care a lot about your moral well-being. They won't encourage you to do things behind mom and dad's back. They won't encourage you to go places that you know you shouldn't go. The truth is is that if you ever desire to have a true friend like Jonathan in your life, you need to work at being the type of friend that Jonathan was to David, and you need to make sure that you're seeking out those types of friendships from others. You need to be willing to be loyal, to hold your friends' moral decisions accountable. And you need to be able to have your own decisions held accountable. But to be any of those, you have to start being Christ-centered. If you're not Christ-centered in your life, you're not going to find it in your friendships. That's the fact. You know, I hear a lot of people say talk about fake friends and this friend did this and this friend did that and this girl stole this boy and much crazy stuff. And I'm not saying that in a, a Christian relationship, Christian friendship, that it's a little bit of that stuff's not gonna happen. But what I am telling you is this if you are best friends with somebody that is seeking out Christ the way you should be seeking out Christ, then the things that you think about and the things that you talk about and the things that you do together are going to be things that won't allow the opportunity for some of the drama that you guys go through with your friends to occur. Think about who you're hanging out with. Who you hang out with impacts the decisions that you make on a daily basis. And you need to really think about that. Let's pray. Father, uh, God, I just ask that you show us all, Lord, how to be a true friend. Lord, your your son, Jesus Christ, is the perfect friend for us all. God, he's everything that Jonathan was to David, and he's so much more. God, help us to understand that your son, Jesus Christ, accepts us for all of our flaws. and No matter what we look like, no matter what we smell like, your son, Jesus Christ, accepts us, God. He is loyal to us. He is committed to us. He will hold us accountable. God, just help us all to understand how perfect of a friend Jesus really is. And God, once we get that worked out, once we understand that, Lord, help us, God, to understand that every friend that we have should be compared to the type of friend Jesus is to us. And God, we should strive to be that type of friend. God, I know some of these kids in here tonight, they're hanging out with people because they think that nobody else will accept them. God, let them know that that's not the case. Let them know, Lord, that if, if they're willing to step up and make a, make a stand for you, God, that you would draw them to friends that will love on them and that will hopefully be there for them when it feels like nobody else will be. God, help us to think about the people that we hang out with. Help us, God, to measure them by the love of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Real quick, got one more little video clip I'm going to show you, then we'll get you out of here.